You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapters 8 and 9, cover an offering that was being given to relieve the church in Jerusalem. So these two chapters deal with the subject of giving, a touchy subject in the church, uh, which is nothing new, by the way. Uh, In Acts chapter 6, when the apostles were steering the church, there was an accusation made that the Hebrew widows were uh, getting favoritism over the Grecian widows and that the money wasn't being handled wisely and The apostles had to say, look, it's not fitting for us to give ourselves to waiting on tables. We have to give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. Let's appoint uh, seven uh, deacons, men, to wait on tables. They had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with tact and with wisdom to wait on tables. And, of course, the apostles chose seven men with Greek names so that the Grecian widows would stop complaining. And uh, I'm encouraged by seeing that. Even when the apostles were running things, there were problems. So uh, giving is a touchy subject in the church. It's a touchy subject because people have been harangued and they have been begged and they have been guilted and beaten and, uh, it, it, you know, made to, f- to feel like they're second-class citizens. They've been put under the law. So it's a touchy subject. But the Holy Spirit, through Paul, puts down two chapters relative to this. Now, if, you've been, if, you, if you're just visiting today, you're already thinking, oh, here we go. I knew it. I knew this what was going on there. Now, you don't know nothing, okay? Uh, most people have been sitting here for years and have never heard anything like this. And I look back, the last time I was in Second Corinthians was 11 or 12 years ago. I, did, I skipped right over. I didn't preach anything on this. So it's been at least 20 years since I've addressed this. Uh, I'm going through, I think, the days that we're living in. It's important for you and I to understand what kind of giving pleases God because we're laying up treasure in heaven right now. We're close to the end. I'm going to say this, you can't take it with you. Whatever portfolio you put together here is going to crumble in the not-too-distant future. Whatever you invest in the kingdom is going to pay dividends forever. I feel a responsibility to tell you that. You know if you've been coming here for years, we don't beg, we don't make money an issue, we never do that. I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us on the subject and, and uh, I think it's much more gracious than what we hear from the church, by the way. So let's look at this eighth chapter. We'll get through probably 12 verses this morning. Paul says, moreover, moreover, brethren, I love this, we do you to wit. King James shines there. That's not like a Geno's wit or wit out. That's 
Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. I want you to know, is what it's saying, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, their generosity. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you, the Corinthians, the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, And in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to, uh, to be forward a year ago, to move forward now with this. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that which a man hath and not according to what he hath not. And they're referring to something they mentioned in the last letter in 1 Corinthians where Paul, uh, as he starts says this, uh, he says, I commend you, uh, where am I at here? I'm sorry, excuse me. In the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your generosity unto Jerusalem. Paul is talking about an offering that he's gathering for the church at Jerusalem. You read chapter 2, you read chapter 4, you read chapter 5, you get a sense of 
First, the zeal that was there, that no man had anything he called his own. They were contributing everything. None of that was demanded. None of that was asked. It wasn't replicated in other churches through the empire. But they were so zealous. They thought the Lord was coming so soon. They were giving everything they had so that everybody had all things in common. The day of Pentecost, you read the list of people that were saved from other countries that were there, gathered there. Many of them stayed. Hospitality, a huge issue in that culture. So the church in Jerusalem completely consumed right in the beginning with giving away of themselves, giving away resources, giving away store of supplies and fruit and food and so forth. And then, of course, after time goes on, there's a famine that hits the area in Jerusalem. There's great difficulty. And the church in Jerusalem is struggling. Paul is struggling because Judaizers are following him through the Roman world, mocking him, picking on him. And he is zealous. He had already taken a partial offering back to Jerusalem. Paul wants to see bridges built between the Gentile churches and the church in Jerusalem. He wants the church in Jerusalem to understand that the Gentile churches love them and are part of God's family. And he wants it to undermine the the message of the Judaizers. So there's a lot of different angles to what's going on here. But the basis is it's humanitarian relief. He's asking for an offering for the poor that live in Jerusalem that are struggling, that are getting persecuted more and more by their Jewish environment. They're certainly not receiving anything from them. They've had to give up businesses. They have have to give up. They've been cut out of family wills. There's all kinds of things happening. So Paul is looking to build that bridge between the Gentile churches in the Roman world and the church in Jerusalem to bring genuine relief to what is going on in their lives there. And as he's doing that, he's asking the Corinthian church now to complete. They had made a commitment. They wanted to be part of this. And Paul is saying, look, the church is in Macedonia. Let them be an example because in the area of Macedonia would have been Troas and Philippi, all the churches up through that area. That area had been through at least five civil wars recorded in the Roman annals. They were subject to great hardship, like the the victims of Hurricane Sandy. The things in the area were terrible in in regards to business and finances, investment, because there had been so much war in the area. And they made an appeal to Caesar Tiberius, who then gave them status in the area of Macedonia and as what the Romans would call a depleted area, which re- relieved them from Roman taxation. They were receiving help from the Roman government to a degree. And you have the churches in that area impoverished. It says here they're going through great trial Many of the guilds, the you know, the, here we have the, the, the trades and we have the unions there in those areas to be a metal worker, to be a carpenter, to be part of that trade or that union or that guild, you had to sacrifice to the idols that were directly related to that and so forth. So the church in the area of Macedonia going through great difficulty in regards to persecution and trial going through great difficulty financially because of the things that the whole area is experiencing and because they're being cut out of businesses and so forth in in terms of Christian persecution. And yet those saints in Macedonia understood so well 
what the church was going through in Jerusalem, that Paul says they jumped in with both feet. It wasn't that they had a lot to give. It's that they refused to be cut out of the process of giving. They themselves were impoverished, and they felt the pain of the saints in Jerusalem. It wasn't just compassion. It was empathy. Paul says, moreover, brethren, we want you to know, he's talking to the Corinthians, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality, their generosity. He says, for to their ability, they gave, in regards to what ability they had, he says, I bear record, yea, beyond their ability, they were willing, notice, of themselves, they're not being begged, they're not being harangued, they were willing of themselves. In fact, verse 4 says, praying us, Paul says, they were begging us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They said, it wasn't that we begged them all the difficulty, you know, and it wasn't like they're sitting in... Macedonia saying, well, we're short this week. Well, we didn't make budget this week. Well, we got somebody's birthday this week. We've got somebody's graduation this week. He said, no. In fact, he said they gave as their ability. He said, in fact, they gave beyond their ability. And he said, willing of themselves to do that. And he said, we didn't beg them. They were begging us that we would receive the offering they put together so that they could be part of the fellowship of the ministering the saints. They want to be part of all of this. You know, it's interesting when I was watching uh, the, all the, the news, you know, Hurricane Sandy, and sadly some of the areas that still have had no relief. Uh, in, in Staten Island, there was a, a church there struggling, and a church in New Orleans was sending up tractor trailers to that church with relief because when Hurricane Katrina had hit <clears throat> New Orleans, that church in Staten Island had sent tractor trailers of relief down there in teams to help the people and work and had worked with the church. And that church down there in New Orleans knew exactly what they were going through up there. And though they were still getting back on their feet, it was a really interesting story on Fox News. They, they, they were interviewing both sides. There were tears on both sides of the pastors and the people. Here are these folks from New Orleans driving all the way up in tractor trailers because they knew exactly what the people up here were going through. And Paul says, you know, these people in Macedonia, they were giving not out of their abundance. They were giving out of their own need, but they refused to be restricted. They were begging us to let them be involved so that they could give to those saints there in Jerusalem. Look, our giving says something about our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that as we look through this. If we give grudgingly, our attitude is, I have to. I sit next to my wife when she's not there. I don't put nothing in, but when she's there, I got to put something in because then I got to listen to it all week. I'm just, you know, if we give dutifully, well, this is my duty, I have to do it. Well, and then our attitude is, well, we need to. So we do it. 
if we give thankfully, it says those in Macedonia were partakers of God's grace, and they realized that, so they wanted to extend themselves. If we give thankfully, our attitude is, you know what, I want to. I want to do this. I'm all that God's done for me. If we give cheerfully, look over in chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Every man, according as he has purposed in his heart, let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. If we give cheerfully, our attitude is, I get to. Not, I have to, I need to. Not even, I want to, which is wonderful. But if we give cheerfully, we're giving, our attitude is, I get to. I get to contribute. I get to give. And as we go into this context, I want to say this. Look, this is not Paul the Apostle beating on the heads of the Corinthians for a building project doesn't have a thermometer on the wall, and he's not saying, here's our new building, here's our plans, here's the way it should look, here's way. and if you give, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to build this. Look, you, guys, you've been with us from the beginning. You know we have never done that. We have never, ever done it. In fact, when we moved from the last building to this building, folks came and said, you didn't, you know, we were scared to death you were going to start with a thermometer. We never did any of that. We never did any of it. We prayed. And you gave faithfully. We were able to move in here without ever asking, without ever begging. This building is paid off. We owe nothing on it. So there's no debt that you have now, and it's worth, at this point, 14 times what we paid for it. We have never asked... You know, that I don't see in the scripture, you know, you, you have in the Old Testament, they were asked to bring building materials for the tabernacle. People were so excited, they begged them to stop. You ever see that anywhere today? They restrain yourselves. We got enough. Stop. No more giving. You don't see that anywhere, do you? Special on TV today from this church. No more giving. Please stop. Don't send any more. You never see that anywhere. You see people beating people over the head, you know, to build a new building. Well, let me tell you something. My impression is when that's happening, there's a man or a group of men who are in the flesh. And they're building their own kingdom. And because they get into debt, they get their congregation into debt. And then they have to yell at people to give so they can build the kingdom they want to build. God's not in debt. God don't have to beg anybody to build his kingdom. When God guides, God provides. If you've been beat over your head for a building project, that's because some man wants to build something and it's bigger than you're giving. And then you have to show all these videos and films. You've got to get the whole congregation smoked up, you know, and then get the giving up and raise the level of giving. What happens is that runs out of gas because you can only keep them smoked up so long. And then when the giving goes back to normal, then you've got to keep beating them. Because you got into a debt relative to the amount of giving they were giving when you had them all smoked up. Are you, are you with me on this? Most of you have probably been through this. What a, what a shame. That has nothing to do with biblical giving. The, the giving Paul's asking here for, and you guys have been excellent at this, is for humanitarian relief. The only time we've come to you and asked, we asked about 
the tsunami and the tidal waves in, in Indonesia and India. And we said, for the next few weeks, above your regular giving here at church, if you want to contribute, just write total, tidal wave. If you don't know how to spell tsunami, just put it on there. And our church gave more to Gospel for Asia than any church in the world in two weeks. Haiti, we asked again when that happened, and you rose to the occasion. Japan with the tsunami. Katrina. Those are the only times when, there, when there's been a terrible disaster and we've come to you and said we have a way to effectively get money to these people. And I'll tell you why that's important and it should be important to all of us. It may come here someday. We may be the recipients of a natural disaster or a terrorist attack. And I know that if we have had an attitude that's pleased the Lord, he will care for us also as a congregation in that time. But I don't find anywhere in the New Testament when anyone's ever being asked for a building project. We do things as we are able, and we move forward at that pace, and God has been gracious to us in all of that. Look, he says here, he says, you guys are begging us that you can be involved in this. And he said, this they did to the Corinthians, talking about the Macedonians, this they did, not as we hoped, we, well, okay, they're going to be involved. He said, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. The, 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 the success in Macedonia was these people gave themselves to the Lord first. I mean, they didn't have, you know, IRAs, and they didn't have you know, millions in the stock market. They, they, you know, they only had what they had, so the first thing they put in the offering plate after they got saved was their own lives. They put themselves in the offering plate. Once you put yourself in the offering plate, everything you got in your, pocket, your pockets and your wallets in the offering plate too. He says, and that's the first thing, that's they gave themselves to the Lord. So if you give yourselves to the Lord, then you've given everything to the Lord. They didn't have much. But they were willing to give out of their want, like the widow in the treasury. You know, they were able to give not out of their abundance because they didn't have an abundance, but they had given all of themselves to Christ. And Paul's going to say somehow they understood that he's the ultimate giver and that he became poor so that we might be rich. He's the ultimate example. That's the spirit that lives in us. It's the image that we're being conformed into. We should be givers. Not because we get beat by some guy in the pulpit. Not because we get a bunch of weird letters in the mail. You know, if you do, I'll send you seven seeds and you dip them in oil and you put them out. And then they're seeds of faith and you'll have faith and you'll have money. You know, not because, you know, pranksters know how to appeal to our covetousness. That's not why we should give because Christ is in us and he gave himself and when we give that way it pleases the father because he sees his son he sees manifestation of his son it says the first thing they did was they gave themselves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so we would also finish in you, the Corinthians, the same grace. Remember in the end of chapter, First um, Corinthians, we read chapter 16, the first three verses. When you come together on the first day of the week, gather, Paul said, I don't want any of that happen while I'm there. I don't want people to think that I'm haranguing you. 
this offering for Jerusalem. He says, therefore, to the Corinthians, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. You know, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, you come behind in no spiritual gift. He had said to them, you have all knowledge, you have all these things. Okay, you're getting an A plus on your report card and all of these other things. He says, get an A plus in giving too. I want you also to abound in this. You're abounding in all of these other things. You know, you, you want an A plus in spiritual gifts. You want an A plus in spiritual giving also. Not just receiving spiritual gifts, but in spiritual giving. What, what runs through you to others is part of the way any spiritual gift should work. So he says here, I want to see you abound in this grace also. And look at verse 8, so important. He says, I speak not by commandment. Isn't that nice to hear? But by occasion of the frowardness of others. Because, but, but he says, I'm not speaking by commandment, but I want you to see the example of the Macedonians and to prove the sincerity of your own love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the supreme giver, the ultimate giver, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. And he says, and herein I give notice my advice. For this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. You started a year ago. Now he says, I want you to perform and bring to completion that thing that you started. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. According to that a man hath, not according to the, what, what he has not. You know, you just give as you are able. God loves a cheerful giver. And look, he says it's not according to the law. He says, I want you to understand that. Look, any of you have been around the church for any length of time, have been beaten to death, that if you're not tithing, you're robbing God's storehouses from Malachi. You're robbing God. That, you know, this was the law that you have to give a tenth. And then the question is, well, do I give a tenth of my net? Do I give a tenth of my gross? Do I give a tenth of my stocks? Do I give a tenth just of my salary? Do I give a, what if I don't have any money? I can't give a tenth and though I have to make up 20 next week. What do I, you know, and, and we get tortured by all of this. Here's the truth. We've done, we've done surveys. The churches across America that get beat to death about tithing, their average income is about the same as ours, and we never ask. Except they're way guiltier, and they feel bad all the time. Okay? Part of the rationale is this. You're, well, you know, tithing it predates the law. Tithing took place, you know, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. Therefore, it's incumbent upon all of us. Listen to the logic. There were sacrifices in the Garden of Eden, predated the law. Therefore, we should still be sacrificing animals. There was circumcision before the law. Therefore, we should all still be circumcising. It's incumbent upon us. Uh, There were dietary things before the law. It says, you know, Noah took seven of every clean animal aboard the ark. Then, Then we should all be keeping the dietary laws according to that logic. That is not true at all. 
And it's not enforced anywhere in the Bible. And bringing into the storehouse your first fruits, one out of ten lambs, you know, one out of ten cucumbers, one out of ten tomatoes, one out of ten ephahs of flour, one out of ten ephahs of oil. And there were, there were restrictions made for the poor. And then every seven years, you had to let your business go fallow, if you want to understand the whole complication. Every 49 years, you had to forgive everybody's debt. I've been through, through at least one of those by now. It would have been wonderful. The year of Jubilees, all kinds of things attached to it. None of that's enforced on the New Testament church. Listen, a survey of all of the writings of the early church up to A.D. 600 is silent about tithing in the church being a necessity. Irenaeus in 120 to 202 says, And for this reason did the Lord, instead of that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, forbid even concupiscence. Just the thinking and the acting in the wrong way. Instead of that which runs like this, thou shalt not kill, he prohibited anger. Instead of the law enjoining the giving of tithes, He told us to share all of our possessions with the poor. This is Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, that that tithing was never enforced on the church. Tertullian says, though we have our treasure chest, it is not made up of purchase money as of a religion that has its price. Rather, on the monthly day, if he likes, each puts in a small donation, but only if it is his pleasure and only if he is able. There is no compulsion, all is voluntary. Tertullian, talking about giving in the early church. Hastings Dictionary of the Apostolic Church says, it is admitted universally that the payment of tithes or the tents of possessions for sacred purposes did not find a place with Christian church during the age covered by the apostles or their immediate successors. The New Catholic Encyclopedia says the early church had no tithing system. It was not that no no need of support for the church existed or was recognized, but rather other means sufficed. The Billy Graham Association says this, the question as to whether to tithe from one's net or gross income is not answered in Scripture, nor is the question of whether to give Uh, give it at all at the local church or to include other ministries. We feel that such decisions should be based on personal conviction. Tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament except where it describes Old Testament practices um, or in the Gospels of Jesus Christ where he is addressing people that are under the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 16 says, On the first day of the week, when each of you has come to set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. This passage brings four points. We should give individually. We should give regularly. We should give methodically. We should give proportionately. The matter of your giving is between you and God. The Billy Graham Association. Volvord and Zook. The Bible Knowledge Commentary. While not requiring a tithe of believers today, the New Testament does speak of God's blessing on those who give generously to the needs of the church, especially those who labor in the word. A whole book called Should the Church Teach Tithing by Dr. Russell Earl Kelly, PhD. Uh, I've got a copy of it somewhere. Um, 
Uh, Bruce Metzger, Oxford Companion Bible, the New Testament nowhere explicitly requires tithing to maintain ministry or a place of assembly. Nelson's Bible Dictionary, the same thing. John MacArthur, Christians are not under the obligation to give a specified amount to the work of their Heavenly Father. In none of their forms do the tithe or other Old Testament levies apply to Christians. John MacArthur again, Tithing basically is never ever advocated in the New Testament. It is never taught in the New Testament. Never. You can go to the New Advent Catholic Encyclopedia. Um, they say exactly the same thing that it began to be enforced on the church on the 6th century Encyclopedia Americana says the same thing 6th century Encyclopedia Britannica points out the Eastern Orthodox Church never accepted the idea of tithes the Orthodox Church members have never paid them it is important to note that the split between the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox occurred in the 6th century the Roman Catholics adopted tithing after the split which explained why the the um, the Orthodox never tithe. Uh, there's another book by Dr. Roger Sapp called The Children Are Free. I mean, I go on and on. The point is, I'm saying this because I have people, you know, you'll come here, uh, get saved here. You come here from other churches. Do I have to tithe? Do I have to tithe? Do I have to tithe? Look, you don't have to tithe. It says every man gave as they purposed in their heart. I think we should give regularly. I think we should give from our hearts. I don't want to see giving die next week, okay? That's not why I'm saying all of this. You know, if, you, if you're only making 10000 bucks a year, how are you going to give 1000 bucks? Then it's going to cost us $3,000 in counseling, and uh, you and your wife, and we're going to have to, you know, give, give you huggies and, and baby food and just, you know. On the other hand, if you make $100 million a year, we want 50. We don't want a tenth. We went half. If you can't live on 50 million bucks, you got a problem. And the only time you can send it ahead is now. So if each member of the congregation gives as the Holy Spirit impresses on their heart to give, the church will always have what it needs to have. And when we hear about a genuine disaster where people are suffering, we put that out to you and we leave it. We don't harangue you. We don't beg you. You have always risen to the occasion. I appreciate that. God bless you guys. We have been a good testimony throughout the world, this congregation. And that's wonderful because it came from the heart and there was never begging in the process. These things are put before us here. I think interesting as we go through the first part of this, uh, am I giving myself first to the Lord? That's a question we ask ourselves. Human portfolios are going are to fail. Are we sending treasure ahead, investing in heaven? Am I giving in response to God's grace? Somehow the Macedonians recognize God's grace and in response to his grace, not the law that they gave. Do I give beyond my comfort zone? Do I decide my giving by what I, so I keep enough aside for myself? Or do I give as I'm led of the Holy Spirit? My comfort zone is not the thing that dictates my giving. Am I giving without external compulsion? It's not going to happen here. We're not going to beg you. We're not going to bang you over the head. You know, if you've got kids at home, you know what it's like trying to get a kid to take out the trash. Take out the trash. Take, only you have one job. Take out the trash. You know, it just, you know, you'd want that kid to come say, you know, just imagine, hey, I'm, I'm taking out the trash today. I 
you know, just, you know, with your own kids, just trying to get them to give. You don't want them, okay, I'll give, okay, I'll contribute. You know, every parent is looking for a kid to, to, to step in and, and take hold. and do it. That's what God in heaven is looking for in his children. Because his son, Jesus Christ, willingly became poor that others might be rich. And he's forming his son in us. And he's looking for us then to become willing givers. And look, I am really saying this to you because I think we are close to the end. You can't take it with you. You can send it ahead. Those rewards can be waiting for you eternally. It is the one investment program that will produce dividends forever. It is the one investment program that's out of this world. And it's between you and Jesus. It's between you and Jesus. He's the one that became poor so that others might be rich. And do we look forward to ministering to the saints? Look, some of you... Financially, you're unable to to do something. But you hear us say, hey, we need somebody here to help vacuum. We need somebody here to help load a truck on the North Philly. We need someone here uh, to help us do this. We're helping a widow move. We need someone to help. You can give in lots of different ways. The first thing is, have you given yourself to Christ? Or you, you reserve parts. You hold parts back. I give most of myself to Christ. That's not giving yourself to Christ at all. You know, as we begin to look at this, I think the kind of pleasing, the kind of giving that pleases the Father is the kind of giving that comes from the heart. It's willing. It's not by compulsion. It's not under the law. It's in response to his grace that so overwhelms the heart that that individual is willing to give themselves completely to the Lord. They are very aware of their example, that the one they're being conformed into is the one who became poor, that others might be rich. There is a right attitude. There's a way to let go of something into the work of God, into the heart of God, into eternity, knowing that it's going to come back, knowing that It's not lost, knowing it's going to accomplish. Many of you will never be missionaries, but there's a missionary on the field, and he's doing the work through your giving. Many of you are never going to stand in a pulpit like Greg Laurie and preach the gospel to multitudes, but you're standing there because you support and you contribute. Many of you are never going to get to the Sudan to minister to the people that are starving there and being persecuted, but many of you will do it by a contribution. Many of you are never going to get to work in an orphanage in India, but you're going to minister to those orphans by your giving. Many of you are never going to get somewhere where there's a tidal wave, a tsunami like Japan, but you're going to stand by your Japanese brethren and be part of the recovery process by your giving. God knows all of that. It's all written down. Be the kind of giver that pleases the Lord. No compulsion, no law, nobody banging on your head. Do you feel good about that? Look, look. when I started this morning, I said we're going to talk about giving. Did a lot of you hunker down, put on your bulletproof vest, hold on to the seat, you know? Do, do some of you feel better about where we're going now? 
Huh? Okay. There's a, there's a right way to do this. It, 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 it is our responsibility. And uh, uh, there's a way that we do this that it pleases the Lord. It's, it's sweet. It's generous. It's sacrificial. It reflects his very nature. And it's right. It's just right. Sadly, the church has made a dirty business and become specialized in begging. They sell your name. If you give to some of these guys on TV, 10 bucks, you get on one list. You give 100 bucks, they put you on another list. You give 1,000 bucks, they put you on another list, and they sell those lists. This is a $1,000 giver. Other ministries pay them huge amounts of money to get a list of $1,000 givers. You give once generously to somebody and then you realize years later, oh, I must have been crazy, he's a kookaboo. And you wonder why you're still getting beat with letters and all this crazy stuff. It's because they're selling you. They got you on the list. We refuse to give out your names. We used to have a, a church directory and people in our church started to take it to sell insurance. They started to do it. We stopped. Why should we have to defend ourselves from our own congregation? People were using our church directory you know, for their own selfish gain. That's not what it's for. So we can be in touch with you and your families and your heartache and your struggles and your, your need for counsel and direction and ministry. It isn't about money. So we have all your names in other ways. CIA gives them to us every year. They this. The NSA is listening. They give it to us all the time. So we, we have all the information. Let's stand. Let's pray. Read ahead, please. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord, as we look at them. Uh, different shadows, different shades of, of attitude and of motivation. And, uh, Lord, of, of, of the, the reasons why we do things and what our motives are. And, Lord, you, you sort through all of that. And you love a cheerful giver. You say you love the heart of a son or a daughter that that serves willingly and gives them themselves with delight. Help us be that way, Lord. And help us, what we profess, Lord, as we believe you're coming soon, help us live that way and help us give that way like we believe it, Lord. Lord, help us that we have opportunity this day before a great stock market crash, Lord, before that we have opportunity now, Lord, to invest in your kingdom, Lord. Let us do that with the right attitude of heart. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.